Okay, first day back. Are we ready to leave? School shoes on? Check. Coats and bags? Check. Smile on Aoife's face? Check. Smile on Sean's face? Check. Huge smile on Mum's face? Oh, yes! Woohoo! Let's go! School bags and school shoes from Littlewoods, Ireland. Back to school victory celebration from Mum. From Nike to Clark's, find the back to school brands you love at littlewoodsireland.ie. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past, present and emerging. I had an idea that I meant to talk to you about before the show. I think we should say what our names are. Oh. <laughs> no one knows which one is which. We need to introduce ourselves and say what our names are. We oh stopped doing God, that in like episode five. We suck at podcasting. Five. Yes. We're so Hi, bad. Um, welcome to Murder in the Land of Oz. My name's Jess. I'm Ellen. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's great. I die for that. There's um, so many like comments and stuff like this girl, like one of the girls, not sure which. And I'm like, how do you not know? And then I was like, I can't remember the last time we actually introduced ourselves. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We suck at podcasting. Hello. I just assumed everybody knows us because, yeah, well, that's that's how um, full of myself I am. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Murder in the Land of Oz. Um, we are in this weird transition period uh, that we're trying to figure out <laughs> what's next to do for the podcast, hence these weird episodes. Um but you know what? It's a weird time because we're in coronavirus times, so you can suck it. What? That's not a nice <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> no, I'm sure you're enjoying the episodes. I ho- we hope you enjoyed Ellen's episode last week. It was very good. Had a listen back. Oh, thanks. You're a clever cookie. Um, oh, oh that's right. We released and we released my episode on the same time as well. The Claremont one yes. was okay. It was all right. It could have been better. But anyway, um, do we have any things we need to talk about before? No? Cool. Uh, what can we tell you? Um, feel free to get in touch with us um, at murderandlandofoz at gmail.com if you've got any uh, case suggestions that you would like us to do. Ellen has a weird look on her face. Sorry. Okay? It's fine. No? Just audacity. <laughs> okay. Um, and we've got our merch available on Public and Redbubble. Yes, those are the right brand names. Good. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of people that are writing very negative reviews, but if you've got anything nice to say, how about you head on down to the Apple Podcast app? That would be we've great. We've had a couple of real nice ones, actually. I checked them last night for an ego boost. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Was there, is there one that we can share? Um, maybe we can share it in the next episode so we don't have, like, several minutes of filler while we find it and have a look at it on the several app. Several minutes? Oh, this is lovely. One of the few podcasts I listened to, I started late, so I've been binging them. The podcast has definitely improved as the show has gone on along. Thanks, doll. We're learning. Thank you. Appreciate it. People leaving negative reviews need to keep listening. And now it's such a perfect show on the WA season now and absolutely hooked on the cases. Love listening. Thanks, girls. And that's from Amazing Racy. And she's actually on our Instagram quite a bit as well. And then someone commenting that we're heavily borrowed from My Favourite Murder. I mean, we're two women talking about murder 
I just want to say that I've listened to maybe three episodes of My Favorite Murder, so if I'm stealing from them, it's definitely not intentional. Yeah. I don't think I've ever I mean, gotten look, to a I point I take that in my as favorite... a compliment because they're very funny. I know, but like, I think stealing is. I mean, we're just women. We're not using their content. We're not doing the same cases as they are. We also don't have as long introductions and stuff before we get to the cases. Yeah. I mean, we di- we diverge. Like, we derail a little bit, but not that much. Maybe they're just trying to say in, like, a backhanded way that we're extremely funny. And, and you know what? get a job writing for Ellen DeGeneres. And that's what I will take from this. Okay. Yeah. Well... Um, so as we explained with our episodes that came out last week, what we're doing is we are going around the States and picking out either some cases that you guys really requested after we had um, like finished at the state or um, cases that maybe have come into a little bit of prominence that we feel like we should have been talked about. Um, I don't believe – so I, it's my turn today. Um, I don't believe anyone brought this case up while we were in New South Wales, but this uh, case recently has come under quite a lot of attention um just because there's been new breakthroughs in the case and this is the story we're going to talk about today is um of scott johnson so let's begin shall we um so scott johnson was born in los angeles in 1961 uh his parents split up when they were when he and his um, brothers and sisters were quite young um they uh weren't very well off as well they were on welfare for basically the majority of the time that um him and his brother was were in high school speaking of his brother um scott had his brother steve they were like as well as being brothers but as well with their upbringing and you know how they were raised steve and scott became exceptionally close um and basically became best friends scott loved math can't relate um, cannot relate. Cannot relate. Absolutely not. Um, Scott loved math. He was passionate about it um, and was basically described as a bit of a genius. He studied at the California Institute of Technology and then at the University of Cambridge in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh. And I, yeah, no, I know. When the University ca- of Cambridge in Boston, Massachusetts. But it's still quite, it's still quite, it's a very good university. Um, and I have to say, spelling Massachusetts, harder than you think. There's a lot of S's and a lot of T's. Mm. That's one of those ones they really should have re- renamed that one. I wonder what it's. Wonder why they kept kept with that one. Massachusetts, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Um. So in some ways, uh, Scott was described as a stereotypical maths genius. He was quiet and shy and introverted, but against the stereotype, he was also described as having a, uh, quite deep levels of sweetness. Um. Scott. We all know that all those maths geniuses, they're so bitter and just twisted. <laughs> maths is a hard world. It really changes you like really, once you're in the game. Really you lose all you. your sweet. Um, so Scott was a gay man, um, but he hadn't told his closest friend and confidant, um, his, best fr- his best friend and brother Steve. Um, Scott was in love with an Australian um, who he'd gone to university with and had actually recently returned home to Sydney. He was heartbroken by the loss um, and his brother Steve confronted him about his problems and he was actually worried that Scott had gotten a girl pregnant and Scott finally told Steve, it's not a woman. Mm. And Steve was shocked, but mainly that, you know, both of them were so close and that he just never, he didn't know this about his brother. What um, year is this? Is this, uh, this would be like the 1980s this is or something like, like 80, that, right? 85, 86, yeah. Oh, Lord, okay. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, I'm on board. I was thinking like 2020 and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, so 
the pair had been incredibly close since childhood. So it was just really shocking to Steve that he didn't know this about Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, Not long after Scott had come out um, to Steve, they, they went on a massive trip to Europe. The photos looked really lit. <laughs> it looked <laughs> like they had a good time. Um, and they actually climbed the Matterhorn, which is this big fuck off mountain thing in the Alps. Um, and on the trip up the incline, that's when Steve took the time to actually ask Scott about this guy that he was in love with and, you know, trying to find out when they'd met and how they'd met and all this thing. And basically from the conversation, Steve discovered that Scott was pining for this man. Um, so then Scott decided at the end of that uh, school year to study math at the Australian National University in Canberra. So uh, May 4th, 1986, uh, Scott left uh, the US to come to Australia. Um, He was studying at Berkeley and he migrated on a student visa to be with his partner. They lived as a de facto couple, um, splitting their time between um, the Australian National University, which is in Canberra, and Sydney. Um, where they would stay with um, Scott's partner. Now, um, for now, for the information like um, with that was released about the case, um, Scott's partner was because uh, I got a lot of information from the Australian story that was done on Scott and Steve. Um, so his partner decided not to be um, named. Named. Cool. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so they were splitting their time between Canberra and Lane Cove in Sydney. Um, Scott was attending two seminars a week at the Macquarie University as well, um, where he had a PhD supervisor. Um, So December 3rd, 1988, um, he was on his own at a um, birthday party. um, And basically Scott confided in somebody of um, thoughts of suicide and jumping off bridges. And he'd spoken about like wanting to... um, throw himself off the Golden Gate Bridge or Lane Cove or Iron Cove Bridge in Sydney. Um, And they had like quite a frank discussion about depression. Um, So December 5th, uh, that's when um, Scott's partner departed for Canberra. um, And that was the last time that Scott's partner saw him alive. Um, At the time of Scott's death, um, the, the pair had been together for five years. Oh, Lord. Um, so December 7th, 1988, Scott met with his PhD supervisor at the Macquarie University um, and then Scott withdrew $50 from the Sydney CBD um, ATM. Um, then his uh, partner's sister heard him return to the house at Lane Cove at about 11pm. Uh, so December 8th, um, Scott's partner's sister was the last person to see him alive. He was asleep in his bed um, at in the morning at about 10 a.m., um, Scott spoke to Professor Ross Street on the telephone and arranged to meet him at Macquarie Uni on the Dece- on December 14th. So he'd made plans. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott then uh, spoke to a friend on the phone um, in, in Sydney and then that was the last time that anyone was known to have spoken to him. So December 10th, 1988, uh, a fisherman called uh, Brian Bust- uh, Bust- Butson um, was the first person to see Mr. Johnson's clothes um, about 10 metres back from the edge of the cliff at North Head um, and they were meticulously folded and arranged with the pen on top. Um, in his first statement to the police, he recalled thinking that the placement of the pen indicated maybe that there'd been a note and that it might, it might have blown away by the winds. Oh. Um, 
And then, um, yeah, so basically Scott's body had been found at the bottom of the cliffs near where his clothes were, uh, where his clothes were placed. Um, and there was an autopsy done and there was multiple injuries consistent of him falling from the cliff. Um, la, 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 la. Okay. So March 16th, 1989, the first inquest was held into Scott Johnson's death um, by the Deputy State Coroner, Coroner Derek Hand, and he delivered the finding that um, Scott had died of suicide. Um, in the evidence presented by Detective Doreen Crookshank, it concluded that um, Scott Johnson had voluntarily jumped to his death. Um, Detective Crookshank then told the court that she wasn't aware that Northhead was a um, known as a gay beat, um, but that was information by the police that was not talking to locals who, when um, speaking, like, in coming up in, like, the next little bit, we'll find out that, yeah. Um, that there and, was some stuff happening. Yeah, there was that stuff was happening. not good. Yeah, exactly. Alrighty. Sorry, my Word document decided to just have a fit on me, but there we go. Um, so, yeah, basically she thought um, – yeah, they at the time of the initial investigation when they found Scott's body, that it wasn't not they didn't know that Northhead was like was a frequent gay beat. Um, that she explained in the inquest on March sixteenth that uh, they only became aware of it being a, a beat area later on after the inquest, right? And that's when like a, a sort of like very vague link was made between um, like the activity that was known to have been held on North, like North Head and the fact that Scott was gay, that maybe, but they just concluded that, yes, it was a suicide. It was a suicide. Um, and basically a lot of the other attacks on um, gay men weren't really frequented in that area. There was mm-hmm. a lot of violence against gay men. I mean, people of the LGBTQ sort of scale – everywhere in Sydney um but around that area was not known to have been violent at that time it was around the same time wasn't it that there were all those other murders Mm -hmm. of gay men in Sydney right yeah yeah um so basically Steve Johnson was in America when his brother had died so basically within the space of 36 hours of Scott being found dead Steve came to Australia and was basically you know, closed off by the police. They very quickly determined, like thought and determined that Scott had died by suicide and they weren't open to really any other like theory as to what Mm -hmm. had happened. Um, Scott's brother, uh, Scott's partner's sister had also been treated quite homophobically by the police, um, was asked whether or not she still loved her brother, even though he was a gay man. Um, So not a cute time. I mean, in history, we have not been great to people on the LGBTQ plus range at all. Mm -hmm. Um, They are constantly prejudiced against and and that's still happening today, even in like this time that's meant to be more progressive. But, you know, Australia's not that woke. No, unfortunately, Australia is not. Um, So basically what happened is that Steve went back to America. He was also in math and tech and basically became, he made a fortune. 
So at the time of Scott's death, Steve was basically a poor graduate student and it wasn't until years later that he had sold his big idea to America Online making him his fortune and basically what he had done is he had come up with an algorithm that allowed photos to be transmitted over phone lines and he'd always wondered about what had happened to Steve Uh and he said I don't I didn't know if my brother had chosen to leave us I didn't know why we lost Scott so Mm -hmm. because of the money that he had made as well as looking after his family and doing all of that sort of stuff he decided to fund his own investigation into the murder of his brother or the 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 death of his brother the death of his brother so 2007, Steve employed former Newsweek journalist uh, Daniel Glick to investigate the case of Scott. So Daniel Glick was an important journalist on the John Benet Ramsey, can- uh, John Benet Ramsey case and he mm. had a great mind as described as have, uh, for, for a complex case. Um, Steve wanted help from Dan in order to get the police to reinvestigate um, Scott's death. And Dan said in the interview with Australian Story, he said, he's like, I totally leveled with um, with Steve. And I said that if I think that your brother killed himself, I'm going to tell you. And if I think that he was murdered, I will work this case as if he was my own brother. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So Dan then travelled to Sydney in May of 2007 and he was unsure of what he would be able to uncover just because of the um, the attitudes of the police at the time and like really quickly ruling it a suicide. So he wasn't really sure what sort of evidence he was going to be able to find. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dan met with Detective Sergeant Steve Page who was in charge of Oper- Operation Teardale and they investigated the cliffside murders at Bondi, Bondi and Ta- Tamarama Beach which was across the harbour from where Scott had been found. Um, the locations of Bondi and Tamarama were known gay beats. Mm-hmm. Um, much like the rest of the world, Sydney was having a surge in hate crimes against gay men. Um, Steve and Dan were now going to determine if the area where Scott had been found had been known to be at the time of a gay, as a gay beat and also if it was known for violence. Um, so Dan went for a run around the area of North Head, which is like the manly sort of area. <clears throat> um, and there was a sewage treatment plant near where the cliffside was. Mm-hmm. And he got chatting to a couple of men that worked the area. And um, he went up to them because it looked like that they'd been working there for a long time. And he asked if they had been there in the late 80s and 90s. And they said, yes, they had. And he asked, you know, was this like a, like a gay beat? Like, was this an area where gay men would hang out? And they were like, all the time all the time like we would find like love love like they described it as like love nests and they'd be up and down the headlands and dan wanted to understand more about the gay bit culture in sydney um so he met with a guy called gary witherspoon who's basically known as a gay beat historian so according to gary there was no doubt in his mind that where scott's body had been found um was known to be a gay beat and it was known very well to the gay community dan began to look through old newspaper articles finding um you know, a lot of um, articles that seem to be assaults or attacks on gay men in the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. He also found an article recounting the story of a man who'd been killed with a bowie knife and that was the same area where Scott had been killed. Oh my God, wow. There were, um, like, these attacks on gay men um, was. I, I hate to use this word, but this is what the um, Gary Witherspoon described it as and Dan Glick described it as, as poofter bashings. So basically what these were were gangs of young men who would be more often than not late teens, early 20s, and they would go around attacking and killing men who were gay or men that they thought were gay. Just by, basically based on them like being in the area at the time. Much, or them, yeah. yeah. It was similar kind of 
stuff for the Bondi gay murders. So um, Dan placed an ad in the newspaper advertising for people with information on the gay beat bashings and murders and advertised his phone number and calls just came flooding in. Oh, wow. And he was contacted by a man who had encountered someone who used to brag about um, bashing up gay men. And this informant um, disclosed the name of an assailant and Dan then went back to the archives, was looking through the articles and this name started to pop up in articles. Sorry, in articles. Um, and they had been arrested the year previous to Scott's murder um, with a couple of mates near where Scott had died. Um, they were arrested for a series of bashings against gay men. Um, by the end of the first, uh, by the end of Dan's first week in Sydney, he was convinced that it was more than likely that Scott had met his end with violence and that he hadn't killed himself. Mm-hmm. Through Dan's work in Sydney. Um, Steve and De- like uh, Detective, um, oh no, sorry, um, Steve Johnson, Dan Glick, and with the help of Detective Steve Page, so many Steves, so, so many, many S's, so many Steves, um, they painstakingly put this report together and presented their findings to the coroner at the end of 2007, and they heard nothing. So at the time, it looks like um, someone within the New South Wales Police Department had actually wrote a rebuttal to the findings that um, Steve and Dan and Detective Steve Page had found. And there was a quote saying in it, there is no evidence to support anything other than suicide. Oh, my God. Okay, hun, sure. Apart from all the evidence that these people collected, even if Uh you don't think that it's like a slam dunk least you investigate exactly um and i i think that's something that i just you know after talking with my um like my stepdad who is a, a former like hom- former homicide cop mm-hmm. it's like you can't afford to not look at every every option option like yeah you're just going to miss something if you completely zero in on one suspect or one theory you're just not yeah. gonna you know and that's okay. why in big cases, a lot of the time when like 400 tips come in in the first week or so, they have to investigate all 400 of those tips just in case, mm. you know. So um, Steve Johnson got in contact with the Unsolved Homicide Squad and they told him that they weren't able to investigate until the suicide finding had been overturned. Mm-hmm. But then he was also told that the suicide verdict couldn't be overturned until the police started investigating again. So it was like a catch-22 oh of mm-hmm. like trying to figure out how the fuck they were going to do this. Mm-hmm. So four years later, in 2011, Dan Glick received an email from the New South Wales police saying that someone had actually confessed killing Scott. Oh, my Lord. Um, turned out the confession was a, host, a hoax, sorry, um, but it got the police interested again into looking into the case. Mm-hmm. And then Sue Thompson became, um, came on board and she w- was working as the New South Wales um, uh, police gay and lesbian liaison and she was passionate about finding out about what had happened to Scott and began working really furiously on the case um, in trying to convince the New South Wales police to re-examine the case. Mm-hmm. And because of all of her hard work, Steve Johnson actually ended up um, paying her for her time. Okay, so let's jump forward to June twenty seventh, two thousand and twelve. Um, that's when the second inquest into Scott Johnson uh, took into Scott's death had uh, was presided over Carmel Forbes, the deputy state coroner. Um, this so called Facebook confession that had been discounted by the police and the deputy state coroner. It turned out it was like a fifteen, like someone that was like a fifteen year old who definitely wouldn't have been alive. Mm-hmm. 
at the time. Um, but the, the coroner concluded that the evidence of the culture of um, gay hate in the, part, in the parts of Sydney um, wasn't enough to prove that Scott was a victim of foul play. She concluded that the evidence does not enable me to make findings as to how he fell. And then she referred the case to the New South Wales um, Cold Case Division, recommending further work to be done on all hypotheses. So this basically nice. meant that it wasn't a suicide, but it also wasn't murder, but <clears throat> it meant that Look the into case it, could boys. be open again. Yeah. Exactly. So then February 11th, 2013, this is when the Australian Story episode came out. I highly recommend everybody watch it just because of how, I mean, Scott's story isn't, um, I mean, that's the thing. And I mean, this is what um, Steve was wanting through the whole thing was just how many men like Scott that had been murdered in Sydney that Mm -hmm. weren't given the attention because they were gay, Mm -hmm. just because of how... I mean, still, as we just said before, like how homophobic our country, our country was and how homophobic our country continues to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talked about Scott's life. It was very heartwarming, just how like lovely and close they are. Um, and um, basically all of the hypoth- hypotheses were presented as to what they thought had happened to Scott. Um, so then after the Australian story, the case was given priority Um and obviously a lot of um, criticize a, a, a lot of critique came through to the New South Wales police mm-hmm. and the police minister Mike Gallagher um, basically called in the detective chief inspector Pamela Young of the unsolved homicide unit um, and basically that they put Scott's case on top of the 700 unsolved murder cases wow. 700, 700 unsolved murder cases that gives me anxiety. Let's just think about how much paperwork that is <laughs> and how many lives that involves. Like that is horrifically painful to think about. Like That's I just lot. can't. <sighs> so then Strike Force uh, McNamere is formed, which was led by Detective Inspector, um, Inste- Inspector Young in basically to reinvestigate the death for a third time. And then... Um, Detective Chief, uh, then Mike Gallagher, the um, police minister, announced a reward of $100,000 for any member of the public with information about Scott's death to come forward. And then something really sweet happened. March 15th, 2013, Scott was awarded his PhD posthumously. I know. Um, his supervisor offered, oh, Ellen. Oh, oh your little rise. Um... Yeah, so then um, yeah, I thought that was so sweet. Um, he basically, a second statement to the police uh, about talking about, like, awarding Scott the PhD. Um, and then um, Steve actually donated, like, a huge chunk of money to the research centre to carry on Scott's work. Oh, wow. In the fields of maths, which is just so That's sweet. That's beautiful. Um, okay. So then uh, November 20th, uh, 2013, Strike Force McNamere delivered its first report to the New South Wales coroner that there were 35 deaths that were identified as occurring at North Head between 1986 and 2000 with the bodies being located at the base of the cliffs around Ferry Bower, Bluefish Point and Fairfax Lookout. The death of Scott Johnson is not involved in this number. Strike Force McNamere investigates 88 deaths referred to the police by um, by the Johnson family investigative team as potential unsolved 
gay hate crimes. Oh, of all my those God. referred, Detective Chief Inspector Young f- uh, found that eight may fall into the category of gay hate crimes, but can't be certain. The other 80 were category, uh, categorically explained otherwise. Uh, none of the eight possible gay hate motivated deaths occurred at North Head or in the suburb of Manly. Um, since 2013, um, media reports, uh, including in the October 2016 SBS documentary Deep Water, have continued to quote uh, variously 30 to or 88 unsolved gay hate crimes rather than the figure of eight established by the New South Wales Police. Mm-hmm. Okay. So many words. Oh, my goodness. Okay. New South Wales Crime Commission uh, had this, like, thorough investigation. So this was uh, February 18th, 2014. So this was the Crime Commission reviewed um, Detective Chief Inspector Young's investigation, Strike Force McNamara, and described it as thorough and comprehensive. Um, April 13th, 2015, Mr. Johnson, so Steve, um, their family officially called for a fresh inquest on the basis of new evidence. It was, um, it's understood to be just the second time a single death has prompted three inquests, the other being the the case of Azaria Chamberlain. Azaria, thank you. Thank you for saying it first. Um, Detective Chief Inspector Young uh, spoke candidly to Lateline in an an exclusive interview in which she accused uh, Mr. Gallagher of kowtowing to wealthy and well-connected businessmen. I mean... Meaning Steve. Yes. Uh, Steve uh, Johnson in demanding another police investigation, citing the lack of new evidence she has managed to find in support of foul play. So on April 22nd, 2015, guess who was removed from the case? Pamela Young. She was taken off the case. Um, In explaining his recommendation, New South Wales coroner Michael Barnes described the interview given to Lateline as unprecedented. So basically accusing the police of bowing down to rich people in order to get their case Mm -hmm. investigated. So December 13, 2016, a third coronial inquest begins. Council representing New South Wales Police Commissioner Andrew, oh goodness, his his last name is tricky. Give it a shot. Skypione? Skypione? S-C-I-P-I-O-N-E. All right, let's go with Skypione. That sounds right. Skypione? That's uh, Zane is nodding yes to Skypione. (laughs) So if we get this wrong, I'm just going to blame Zane. Council (laughs) representing New South Wales Police Commissioner Andrew Skypione tells Mr. Barnes the commissioner does not accept any criticism of police in the investigation. Council assisting the Johnson family, uh, John Aguis. That's another name. Why can't people just have... Anyway... Um, asked that the suicide and accident theories to be dismissed as possible causes of Scott Johnson's death. Mr. Aguas said that there was evidence Mr. Johnson had made long-term plans for the future, which he had. He had Uh organised a future meeting to be made with his PhD supervisor. Um, The council assisting the coroner, Christina Stern, pointed out that this is not an inquiry into the adequacy of the police investigation. She says parties must concentrate on establishing the manner and cause of Mr. Johnson's death, determining determining whether it was an an accident, suicide or foul play. Mm -hmm. December 14th, 2016, uh, a new witness came through to give evidence. Uh, Mr. Greeley is an emotional uh, is emotional in the witness box as he mentioned feeling guilty about having kept the information he was told by Mr. Johnson on December 3rd, 1988, secret for so long. So this was the um, information about Scott. Um, so oh no, I beg your pardon. Um, he questioned. This was Brian. This was the man that found the the pieces of clothing. Um, so. He um, questioned Brian about his thoughts on finding Scott Johnson's personal items, knowing that he was um, at a gay beat. 
Mr. B- um, Mr. Butson said he could not have known Mr. Johnson was gay and did not know what a gay beat was. He tells the coroner, as far as I knew, a gay beat was a bunch of guys seeing YMCA. Yikes. Ball. <laughs> stereotypes. Can you spell stereotype? Because I can. <laughs> kind of funny, though. A little tiny me. bit of a funny joke. Yeah, but at a coronial inquest? That's yeah, not, not the appropriate. Type of humor, not the type of humor. <laughs> okay. June 13th, uh, 2017. Um, uh, so this was when the um, the inquest was resumed. Uh, Robert Reed, who volunteered as a lifesaver and park ranger at, a nearby, at the nearby Reef Beach in the 1980s and 90s, uh, tells the inquest that the North Head area was a known gay beat at the time. He says he had heard anecdotal reports of four or five assaults and robberies in which he said men had been bashed and possibly killed. Mr. Reed also describes an older gay couple who would often view the North Head area through a telescope from their manly apartment and reportedly saw a man being bashed and then pushed off a cliff. June 14th, 2017, the partner of, of, Scott, uh, of Scott Johnson said he decided to tell police the pair were just friends at the time as he thought the investigation could be jeopardized if their sexuality was known. He told the inquest Miss Johnson had admitted to some sort of sexual adventure and as a result of the infidelity considered leaping from the Golden Gate Bridge. The court also heard that Mr. Johnson was desperate to win the approval of his family, including his brother, with whom... (coughs) I'm so sorry. uh, With whom the relationship was a constant bone of contention, which I think Steve has changed his mind on. Yeah. I think it was... I mean... Look, if you look at when we're talking about, I think when Steve talks about his brother, it's it's with a lot of love. Uh-huh. Um, but obviously, you know, his brother was living very far away. It might have just been a bit of a contentious topic because he had left for love. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Um, so the council assisting the Johnson family, Mr. Arguis, asked um, Scott's partner why the couple had only discussed a suicide attempt on one occasion and he had said he knew how to contact me and he knew I was there. I was not one to check up on him. This is somebody who had gone to the edge and found themselves incapable, physically incapable of going through with it. So then on June 16th, uh, 2017, a witness told the inquest that a group called the Narrabeen Skinheads bragged about assaulting an American, I'm not saying that word, gay man, around the same time Mr. Johnson had died. The statement said that the gang chased him into a bush and that bashing had occurred on the Friday night in about mid-December 1988 and Mr. Johnson had died on February 10th, 1988, just to Mm. remind everybody. Um, A 45-year-old man who was not identified um, denied attacking um, an American man and chasing him into the bush, saying that the information that implicated him was fabricated. uh, fabricated. He said he'd never been involved in a gay bashing, had um, never been involved in like a skinhead gang. And he didn't know why someone would make that up. Uh, the inquest also heard soldiers training at the Army School of Artillery at North Head in Sydney used to brag about bashing gay men also. A witness who wasn't identified says that he socialised with several groups of so- soldiers that trained in the area who laughed and yahooed about bashing queers. Oh my God. They were proud of it and they thought it was fun and games, he said. Friday night was their big night out investigations uh so sorry uh june 22nd uh 2017 members of the new south wales police force did not uh, uh basically it was concluded by the coroner that the new south wales police force did not adequately investigate deaths near gay beats 
uh, Magistrate Michael Barnes said he understood the Johnson family would be puzzled and dismayed by the the paucity of the original investigation. The court heard Mr Johnson's death was not investigated as a gay hate crime, partly because then Detective Sergeant Doreen Crookshanks said the location was not a gay beat. So basically because they had ruled out and they're like, oh, that's not a beat. No. There's no way it could possibly be, even though it was across from like a known gay beat where people had died. Pretty much. So then on November 30th, 2017, the third inquest into Scott Johnson's death finds that he was the victim of a gay hate attack, but concluded there was not enough evidence to identify the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. I am of the view it is very unlikely Scott took his own life, Coroner Michael Barnes said. Mr. Barnes said the area where Mr. Johnson's died was a well-known gay beat and stressed that there were many reports of gangs of men converging on the area and committing gay hate assaults and robberies. I am persuaded to the requisite standard that Scott died as a result of gay hate attack. So, November 9th, 2018, New South Wales Police announced a $1 million reward for information that that led to the arrest and conviction of Scott Johnson's attackers. Police Commissioner Mick Fuller said he hoped the reward would help get to the bottom of the truth. It's horrendous to believe that these people are still out in our community, existing, living free, while Scott has died a terrible death some years ago. Steve Johnson travelled to Sydney for the press conference and said his brother finally had a voice. Mm-hmm. After 30 years, I can finally say, Scott, the police are keen to find your killers. And Steve doubled the reward to $2 million. Um, I want this man's job is mm-hmm. all I can say about that. So Mr. Johnson basically said that he hoped the multi-million dollar reward would send a message that gay hate crimes would not be tolerated. With a reward of up to two million on the table, I am hoping that Scott will finally get justice. Please do it for Scott. Do it for all gay men who were subject to hate crime and now do it for yourself. Wow. May 12th, 2020. Literally five days ago. Literally five days ago. Police arrest a Sydney man over the suspicious death of Scott Johnson more than 32 years after his body was found at North Head. Detectives arrested forty-nine-year-old a 49-year-old man at Lane Cove in Sydney's north and searched a nearby home. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, in a video message, Steve Johnson said that the arrest was, a, was significant for his family and Sydney's wider gay community. After a tense relationship with the New South Wales Police for many years, Mr Johnson lauded the shift in the investigation, which told the gay community that times have changed. Um, And he said, after State Coroner Michael Barnes determined in 2017 that Scott had been killed, overturning the original officer's suicide assessment, Commissioner Fuller pledged to me that he would do everything possible to solve Scott's homicide. By doggedly pursuing Scott's case, the New South Wales Police is telling the gay community, indeed, everyone in Australia, that times have changed. A recognition that all of us deserve equal protection and justice under the law Mm -hmm. and equal standing with each other without prejudice. Scott died violently, as so many other gay men did in the 1980s and 90s, in a world full of anti-gay prejudice and hatred. They need a voice, and in some small way, I hope Scott has provided it. Whoa. I'm teary-eyed. I I know. I have two tears in my eyes. I did not know the story of Scott. Um, I didn't either, and I felt very, like, when everybody was, like, tagging us in posts and stuff like that, I was like, why have I not heard about this? Thank you so much to the people that um, tagged us. I have been – it's been a privilege to learn about Scott and Steve. Um, the I highly recommend you all to watch the video by Steve Johnson that was released a few days ago when they announced the arrest. Um, as more information comes out, I will do a follow-up. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, it's extremely also, fresh. I just want to say, like, especially with what's going on with the coronavirus pandemic, like – 
mad props to the police for making an arrest. Mm-hmm. That mustn't have been easy to sort of circumnavigate the last couple of months, especially. Yeah. Like I'd say they probably had like mad tips on this guy for the last couple of months, but obviously trying to make an arrest at this point is really difficult. Um, so as far as I know, it's going to be a couple of months before everything like kicks off. So as information comes in, I will do little follow-ups like on the coming episodes. Um, I'd highly recommend you all to watch the Australian story episode about Stephen Scott. It's an incredible story about, you know, a man using his privilege to help give his brother who was completely prejudiced against a voice. I which, think, I mean, I wish more people have millions and millions of dollars yeah. in order to help like get the disenfranchised people help Mm -hmm. um but it's really nice to see and I hope much like Steve said like I hope this brings more attention to the victims of gay hate in like all times but especially those that were underserved in the 80s and 90s because of um because of what was happening with (laughs) so much prejudice against gay men because of what was going on with HIV and AIDS Mm -hmm. um people were very scared people were very ignorant and that community especially was really underserved in those times. And I mean, I speak for Ellen and myself that we are both strong fucking allies to the LGBTQ community and always have been, always will be. And I want to pledge to looking at more crimes against the LGBTQ community because Mm -hmm. we don't talk about them enough um, and I want to. And yes, I'm so, so happy for the Johnson family. I mean, as well as Steve, um, Scott also had another brother and sisters who were destroyed by what happened to Scott Mm -hmm. and also with it being dismissed so quickly, must have been really devastating to also know someone that intimately and for them to take, like for them to think that they took their own lives, obviously really like devastating. Um, I can't imagine. Yeah. Mad props so, to yeah. Steve Johnson. Like I know. I think to do something that incredible with money yeah. is – I mean, obviously it was very personal for him and he was talking about, you know, how much respect that his children have for Scott, even though they didn't know him. It was so mm-hmm. it was so sweet. Um, you know, the weeks before Scott's murder, he was so excited about he was so excited about going home to America to meet his his niece who'd just oh. been born. <laughs> So he had things to look forward to and especially about he, he'd made incredible steps forward with his PhD mm-hmm. and it just didn't make any sense. Like, of course, he probably struggled mentally with a lot of stuff that was going on at the time, but for someone that had so much to look forward to. I think it's also, an, you know, a thing that in a lot of cases, especially like missing persons and stuff like that, there is often something or like something that somebody said like oh he had been depressed or he'd had suicidal thoughts or something like that you know I think that if we ever get to the point in society where we can accept that those kinds of feelings are pretty normal and everybody is basically yeah them, exactly I think that a lot of times that you know if it's said that somebody was depressed or something like that it's pretty it's often put into a box and been like oh well that person has probably you know committed suicide and it does as you say can cause tunnel vision like if you yeah you have evidence to support one theory it doesn't mean that all the other theories are and it's just I think with um I mean as we've talked about with either high-risk victims or or victims that have been prejudiced against like it just can get very one-tracked 
Yeah, like, I'm sorry, I'm a gay man in the 1980s, like, in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. Like, no Mm. shit, I have had suicidal thoughts or I've been depressed or something like that. Like, what? Like, try living a hard life. Exactly. And, you know, people so quick to, you know, about an Indigenous, like, 16-year-old girl if she went missing. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. sure they'd be so quick to jump down our throats to just be like, yeah, she's a runaway. It's like, no, like, let's... You know, I mean, but that goes to show with how much, like, where money goes and how it's distributed. Mm -hmm. Because we're not bashing cops. Like, they do an incredible job and they do work with what they have Mm -hmm. more often than not. Um, But, yeah. But there are cracks. Yeah, there are cracks in the system. But as we said, we want to present more on this podcast about most definitely as we've tried to serve as – much as we possibly can about the indigenous people of this country as we've continually said that they have been underrepresented and we want to talk about them and this goes for the lgbtq community as well because yeah it sucks mm, it does so really good episode jess thank you i tried really hard i was very captivated i was like no like no oh god um so yes thank you so much if you would like to send us an email we're at murder in the land of Oz at gmail.com you can find us on instagram at murder in the land of Oz. Uh, we're on facebook did you see that video that i posted on the facebook page the other day ellen the law and order svu one yes yes i watched it like <laughs> five times his face of like when the flute came out oh. <laughs> I died. I died. Um, so, yes, if you want to get in contact with us, please let us uh, – please, you know, say hi. I'm on the Instagram constantly, whatever. Um, as we've said, we've got a couple more episodes where we're going to go back around Australia and then we'll be starting our new season. Rock on. Rock on. Okay, guys, thank you so much. We'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Do you take great pleasure out of using large and obscure words that nobody understands? Perhaps you enjoy peppering a strange adjective into a work email, or finding a new verb to pursue as a hobby? Or perhaps you are a seasoned logophile, such as myself. An assemblage of grandiose and bombastic grandiloquence brings together all the world's most interesting, bizarre, and fascinating language to teach you a new word every day. We are available on all of your podcatchers, and you can find out more about us at that'snotcanon.com. I cannot wait to explore the wonderful world of words with you. That's Not Kind of Productions podcast. Enjoy a big deal as you enjoy breakfast with great value car cover from Super Value Insurance. Get a great quote and search Super Value Insurance now. This car insurance is underwritten by AXA Insurance DAC. Super Value Financial Services DAC trading as Super Value Insurance is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Forward. It's the one move we're all ready to take. And at the Audi Moving Forward sales event, we're ready to help you on that journey. All Audi dealerships are now open with tailored solutions to suit your individual needs, like the Audi A6 Saloon, with PCP finance from only €499 per month. Now is the time to make an appointment. Now is the time to start moving forward.
Audi. Vorsprung durch Technik. Terms and conditions apply.